You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. everybody welcome back to the Fenway Rundown. This is Mass Lives Red Sox podcast and this is part two of our three-part series welcoming the Woo Sox and today we'll be welcoming a very special guest the uh, principal owner and chairman of the Woo Sox and former president and CEO of the Red Sox Larry Lacchino. Larry thanks so much for uh, coming on today. Happy to be here Chris it's a uh, time for celebration. So obviously this has been uh, a long process of um, you know from from moving the team from Pawtucket from designing the stadium and now here we are uh, in the midst of a global pandemic after a year of delays and craziness and we're three weeks away from opening day at polar park and everything finally coming to fruition what are your emotions like at this point being so close to to the finish line with i'm sure still a lot of work left to go well i suspect the people i work with would say i'm sort of uh, short and irritable because the time is not 21 days, it's 20 days. Right. And uh, we're trying to get this thing done as best we can. By May 11th, the opening date here, opening day will be May 11th, uh, but it's going to be a rolling opening. And we mm-hmm. want people to be aware of that because of the seven week shutdown on the ballpark and because of the pandemic and uh, numerous other reasons, uh, we are not gonna be at the full spirit, uh, full, uh, 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 full capacity on uh, May 11th, but neither will we have all of the uh, features and uh, um, pleasures of the ballpark rolled out by, on May 11th. They will come gradually as we roll out during the course of the season. So much so that we're thinking of having a second opener in July when the ballpark mm-hmm. is a little closer to uh, completion and the uh, uh, COVID restrictions are a little closer to oblivion. So, you know, with specific features, what are, I, I read that, you know, the berm area might not be open at first, but what are some of the things that are going to be opening up as the season rolls along? Well, the, uh, the ballpark is going to be very good for baseball, just for the playing of the game. As, right. as the Red Sox alternate uh, site has demonstrated over the last few weeks, uh, the field is in sensational shape. We are able to uh, play baseball. And that first and foremost is what we're here for. Now we're only going to have a 12% uh, concession, uh, excuse me, capacity cap on us, and I say only 12% because that's the lowest in in, in America, and uh, Massachusetts and the District of Columbia share that uh, distinction at 12%. Um, it goes uh, virtually to 100%, and in, in, in some states 100%. Uh, so it's uh, it will be a uh, 
a toned down version of what the ballpark will be, but it will have many of the cool elements of the ballpark, many of the the intimacies and the irregularities and the uh, and the uh, cool graphics and the uh, uh, major league like scoreboards and. Uh, uh, I think people are going to uh, find it quite uh, appealing for baseball fans and non-baseball fans alike. How close is it to what you envisioned when you started on this project a few years ago? Well, it's uh, it's obviously pretty darn close. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're in the 90% uh, uh, bracket uh, somewhere, but uh, I'm not sure uh, exactly. We won't know that for a couple of weeks after we open it because there are so many, excuse me, details and dimensions that you're going to have to live in it for a little while to see how things have uh, have worked out. How they've gone from design table to uh, uh, to ballpark and what has been lost in the translation, if anything. I wanted to ask about the dimensions specifically. Seems like it's going to be a, a paradise for left-handed hitters a little bit different than than what Fenway is um so, you know kind of a movement in minor league ballparks that a lot of times teams like uh, as the Red Sox do in a couple places to have the ballpark uh with the same dimensions as the major league place um what went into that decision and uh or why that the dimensions are are much different than what we'd see at Fenway well uh first of all we did uh, design the ballpark with our our, our uh, parent uh, team in mind and in the room. Uh, and in fact, it was they who suggested certain uh, uh, spacious dimensions in the outfield mm-hmm. to uh, be able to determine fielding uh, acuity. And uh, it was we that determined that a wall was needed in right and it would be artificial in left. And so we put up a, a tall, I think it's called the Worcester wall in right field instead of left. Uh, but uh, some of the same lessons can be learned um, from that wall. So there are a lot of similarities. The one we built uh, for the Red Sox at JetBlue Park is uh, uh, a very much a, a, a facsimile of Fenway Park uh, in terms of the playing dimensions. Uh, we decided that that was not appropriate that a more natural or organic uh, set of dimensions provided it was acceptable to the team would be appropriate. Here so uh, dealing with, with the Red Sox and how much of a, of obviously the, the close relationship and not just geographically, but working with them so closely on this, how is this new ballpark, this new city for the AAA team going to benefit the Red Sox on the field product? Well, it happens to fit uh, very snugly and nicely with High and Bloom's vision of the future of the Red Sox with an emphasis on scouting, player development, grow your own, keep your own, et cetera. Now we have a very solid state-of-the-art facility and sustainable franchise at AAA. And I think uh, you're gonna see how important that is. Uh, I I remind everybody that in uh, 2018, when the Red Sox won the World Series, with about 45 different players, something like 36 of them played at one time or another at Pawtucket. And so it is a critical step. And even if the, uh, uh, and, and the general manager's philosophy is perfectly consistent with the high quality AAA facility so that uh, developing players can experience every level 
uh, of minor league development, including AAA, and our fans can see them um, at uh, every level of the of the of minor league development. And now, of course, there are numerous other advantages to the team in terms of having the uh, uh, its AAA uh, franchise uh, or, or affiliate uh, as close as we are the 45 minute to 50 minute drive, the train service, et cetera, makes a, a competitive advantage, gives competitive advantage to a team that has its uh, AAA team that, uh, that close. And make no mistake, our fans here in Worcester are gonna see the uh, stars of the future and the Joes of the future. They're gonna see most of the future of the Red Sox here uh, passing through uh, uh, Worcester in the uh, months and years ahead. I was going to ask right on that topic about, you know, the, the level of talent that's there at the alternate site right now and will be on the roster come May, but a guy like Tanner Houck, who's been up and pitched well with the Red Sox and Jaron Duran, one of the most exciting prospects in the system, Jeter Downs. Uh, how excited say, uh, are you? Yeah, about... I watched uh, Jaron, Jared Duran take some batting practice the other day. He looks uh, a little like uh, the uh, perfect specimen for <laughs> baseball. I mean, he looks uh, and cries out outfielder. And mm-hmm. he is, uh, he's got uh, all the tools. So uh, I, I think it's going to be fun for our fans to watch players like Jared kind of uh, develop. And um, and they do develop it in, in, in various stages. Remember, these are 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old people. In your time in the game, I wanted to ask, how has the role of minor league baseball changed? And have you found that the role of having state-of-the-art facilities and having that partnership between the big league club and minor league teams to be more important as time has gone on? Uh, It has changed from time to time. Now the existing formula goes back about 116 years with the national association. So it was time for some change and uh, lots of change has been wrought this year by the uh, major leagues taking over the national association and minor league baseball. And I think you're going to see, uh, uh, things more finely tuned, more closely uh, uh, adhe- uh, adhering to development uh, standards, and uh, generally better treatment of our of our players and better uh, development uh, processes as a result. And uh, so I, I think it's going to be uh, there'll be the changes this year, and many of of course the changes contemplated at the major league level, some will be experimented with at the minor league level. I wanted to kind of get to you personally with this. And why at this stage in your career was AAA baseball and, and finding a new home for this club, something that you wanted to embrace in, in 2015 when you first got into it? And why was this something that uh, you have been passionate about? Well, I, I first thought it was a good idea for the Red Sox when I was president and CEO of the Red Sox in 2015 mm-hmm. and the team became for sale. It seemed, uh, incumbent upon us to at least uh, kick the tires and determine if it was something we should we should do. I thought we should, uh, but my partners uh, at that time, John Henry and Tom Werner, were unsure that we needed to make but another commitment to acquire but another franchise. And uh, and what, uh, what John said at one point is, we don't need to own this AAA team, we just need somebody Uber friendly to run it for us within <laughs> uh, within the driving distance of Fenway Park, and so uh, when I left the Red Sox at the end of 2015, I did not intend to be in this uh, in this role. 
my partner was a guy named Jim Skeffington, and I was uh, one of the owners of the team as the Red Sox and one of the owners of this team. And uh, uh, but uh, he, he died suddenly of a heart attack, and uh, and I was the uh, obvious person to turn to uh, to uh, continue his uh, vision and and the uh, and the ballparks operation. And so it was uh, not planned. Uh, but I am really pleased with it because I, I've come to love Worcester. Reminds me a lot of my hometown, Pittsburgh. That's Pittsburgh, not Pittsburgh. And uh, and it's uh, and their uh, enthusiasm for baseball is uh, just second to none. It's just a sensational place. And in fact, one of the main reasons why we came here is because they wanted us more than anybody else. In Rhode Island, when they made their decision that after 50 years, they didn't really want a new facility and they didn't want us. Uh, it was a breath of fresh air to hear Worcester come um, uh, running after us and urge us to consider uh, the second largest city in New England as the home for our ballpark. It's uh, definitely been exciting to see, you know, just kind of how the area has embraced it. And, and another thing is, I think the, the term has been coined as the Worcester Renaissance and the par ballpark playing such a central role in that. Um, how much do you and the Sox hope to be just a catalyst for the city to continue growing? Well, uh, we hope to be a big catalyst uh, for it, but I think it's only fair to say that this process began before us and uh, even uh, committing to Worcester. Uh, and uh, for 10 or 15 years, there's been a process of investment by uh, the public and the private sectors into the city. There's been a growth and acceleration of Worcester as a, uh, and a greater recognition of Worcester as a good place to live and a good place to uh, go and, uh, and do things and, uh, and sample the, the, uh, the uh, food culture, for example. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a city on the move and to the extent, and it was a city on the move before, to the extent we can help accelerate that process or deepen that process, we feel ourselves very fortunate. And you've been around uh, in many different cities over the years and uh, obviously a lot of time with the Red Sox. What, what did you know about Whisker before starting this project? How, many, how much time did you spend in the city like, while you were working with the Red Sox? I didn't. Uh, I mean, I came here, of course, for, for games when I was with the Red Sox because I considered myself a... Uh, traditional baseball fan who believed in the uh, importance of uh, the minor league system. But I also got to know Worcester as uh, I was a, uh, a young lawyer in Washington, D.C. My senior partner was a guy named Edward Bennett Williams, who was chairman of the board for a thousand years of Holy Cross. And I came up with him to see uh, Holy Cross football. I agonized with him over the formation of the Patriot League. Uh, so I knew something about Worcester uh, and its reputation, but uh, uh, I would not call myself uh, well-versed by any means. But uh, I did see plenty of Gordy Lockbaum play football. As, as we're getting close, as we're, like you said, 20 days away, uh, as we're recording this, and by the time uh, this goes up, it'll be you know two and a half weeks or less than two and a half weeks. Uh, final question for you. When are you going to be able to personally – breathe a breath of, breath of fresh air that this is uh, a completed project, that it's a success, everybody's happy. Is it when the ballparks fall at some point, maybe later this year, when it's finished? When will well, that be for you? I have a rule, Chris, and that is that it takes about a, a year, at least a half a year after the ballpark 
complete its first season before you finish it because you have to see how it works and how well people adapt to it and how well it adapts to people. Uh, so uh, uh, this rolling uh, opening that we're going to experience this year is a pretty good indicator. And I would say uh, it would probably be uh, the uh, start of 2022 when I will feel I can take a deep breath. <laughs> well, we look forward to that. We look forward to the opening of Polar Park and everything getting underway. Larry, thanks so much for hopping on. Yes, Hope thanks. to see you in, in Worcester soon. Thank you for having me, and come on out, folks. This is your ballpark.